you're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapul. Remind me to tell you later. Madre. So, I've known about the supernatural for a long time. I grew up with it. My nana and Lola raised me in it, taught me how to identify and deal with the things that go bump in the night. But, I was also a kid. And as most kids would be, even knowing everything I knew, the supernatural terrified me. And why wouldn't it? It wasn't safe. And I knew that every day of my life. I went to Catholic school because, of course I did, an all-girls Catholic school with the long skirts and the ugliest blouses you've ever seen, where the founders were all nuns and the administration always seemed surprised a bunch of us grew up wanting to make out with other girls under the bleachers. Speaking of nuns, and that that other part, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade at the time. I had these adorable little bangs, and I never smiled in pictures because I worried it would make me look fat. I just got my period, hormones were running wild, and I had my crushes. The big one was, oh, Donner, you've met her before, Ira Mangalingan. She was a bit of an emo kid, and I thought she was the coolest girl in class. Nowadays, I blackmail her with pictures of her braces, but when you're in love and also, like, ten, none of the awkward stuff really matters. The reason I bring up childhood crush and erstwhile ex Ira is that she had to do with a nun incident I experienced back in grade school. To this day, it's only one of many traumatic experiences at the creepy old Catholic school that was a World War II hospital that really shook me. I saw a lot. We used to call it having my third eye open or something, and back then I wasn't as used to seeing things the way I am now. I'd see, say, uh, Santo Nino, a child Jesus statue in the chapel moving its hands, or the ghostly faces of dead girls in old, yellowing class photos. One time, when I had to stay after school from a mild fever, I saw an old priest walking slowly toward me at the end of a long hallway, his head tucked under his arm. But, for the most part, I knew they couldn't hurt me. That didn't stop the nightmares, but I was safe as I could be, at least, according to my nanai. As long as I kept my anting-anting with me, she said. She explained it like a mosquito net. You could see through them, but they kept things out when they needed to. A veil that separates the living and the dead. One that could thin, but hardly ever broke. And because of my experiences with her and Lola, I could see through that veil better than most, but I was no less safe from anything but a good scare. Knowing that, I, the young child I was, both frightened and thrilled by my sight, told stories. In fairness, I wasn't the only one telling stories. Everyone did. Everyone had a story, and my job was to confirm if they were true. 
the girls in my class and out of it would ask me to confirm the stories. Three or four girls holding onto each other by the shoulders while I entered a room with an aura or an image and say I could see or feel something. More often than not, I did. I was a weirdo, but I was a useful weirdo. So I got a reputation for being the one to ask when something creepy was going on around the school. More often than not, I was asked to accompany some girls to bathrooms. It's less creepy than it sounds. Well, I mean, it was a different kind of creepy, I guess. The ghostly kind, rather than the, um, adolescent girl kind. I was once asked by one of the most popular tomboys in school to watch out for her while she visited the grade school shower room, which was, and I kid you not, one of the creepiest rooms in the entire school, whether you believed in ghosts or not. The individual shower cubicles were lined up in one narrow row all the way up to the far wall, with these old lights flickering overhead. At the very end of the row, the last cubicle had an old door hanging off one hinge, and a light that seemed like it would never be repaired. It stayed dark for long stretches, but every now and then, it would flicker to life, then back to darkness. It was also the only place the grade school kids could shower after varsity practice, if they couldn't go home right after, or take the long trek up to the high school showers. I lied about what was in that particular bathroom. When the popular girl, Cat, I think her name was, asked about it. She insisted she felt something brush against her head when she was drying off. I told her that I couldn't see anything, which was a good sign since it meant whatever ghosts were hanging around were harmless, if any at all. <clears throat> hanging around. Let's just say this ghost was much less harmful than the one Laura and I encountered at the Christie house but no less terrifying to see in the bathroom mirror, passing her hand over the heads and shoulders of other schoolgirls. When she saw me looking at her, hanging by her neck from the ceiling and gliding around the room, she reached out and brushed her fingers against the bangs on my face, but otherwise seemed inert. That was my experience for most of these ghosts in our haunted school. Terrifying, but calm. Peaceful, even. And then... There was the nun. In our school, there were a few places I refused to go. A balletta tree in the high school campus. A music room in one of the administrative buildings, and a certain bathroom beside the auditorium, where not a single young girl went alone, no matter what. Our school's most famous ghost haunted that place. The Peeping Nun, they called her. Story goes, any girl who goes to that bathroom alone will see pale fingers curl over the top of the cubicle, before the top of a veil, and wide, empty black eyes emerge to stare down at whoever's unlucky enough to be caught unsupervised, but see no feet touching the ground when they look down. 
Of course, there were stories about who she was, why she was there. Some said she was one of the nuns who worked as nurses during World War II, and her wide black eyes were those that watched over dying soldiers, kept awake by their cries. Others simply said she wasn't a nun at all. Which made you wonder. Anyway, I refused to go near that place. I didn't have a great sense of the threat levels of the supernatural back then. Creepy school ghosts notwithstanding, but I could tell that there was something there that made me shiver uncontrollably just at the thought of coming too close. It was the one place none of the girls in my school could convince me to go near. Or at least that's what I thought, not knowing that self-preservation was not the domain of dumb hormonal kids with huge crushes. Ira was on the Arnis varsity team. Arnis being our national sport, and a martial art that basically involved wooden sticks and a lot of pain. She had to practice some forms in the auditorium on the second floor, and in her mind, asking me to accompany her to the bathroom to change was hardly a big deal for someone like me. We all knew the rules. As long as you weren't alone in there, nothing crazy would happen. And maybe for everyone else, that was true. I could have told her the truth, could have told her no, but... But I guess most of us have been stupid over a girl at some point in our lives, and I said yes before I could even think about it because I'd somehow rationalized that if nothing else in the school could really hurt me, then whatever was in there couldn't either. Let's just say the only reason I may have survived that encounter was sheer, bloody luck. On the day, I bucked up and waited by the stage, watching Ira practice her forms, all the while wondering if I'd psyched myself up about the whole thing, and there was actually nothing to worry about. Generally speaking, at least at the time, I knew that if you were able to establish a set of rules for the much more well-known ghosts, following them should have meant you'd do just fine. Those rules were there for a reason. This particular rule was simply not to go in alone. So by the time Ira had finished up, I was ready to stand outside a cubicle for her, just about convinced that I was overreacting. She was obviously relieved that I'd come along, even if she tried to play it off as not as big a deal as it secretly was to everyone in our batch. I still felt a chill when I entered, though I chalked it up to my fear at the time and nothing else. Like I said, I didn't have the good sense I have now. Don't look at me like that. I was a kid. I didn't get it. I stood by the sink and washed my hands to keep myself busy. I could hear the distant sound of girls going home for the day, allowing a gentle quiet to settle over the grassy fields in between school buildings. I distinctly remember Ira calling out, asking me if I was still there. When I answered back, it was... it was like... like my ears popped. A sudden blanket of silence, erasing the peaceful school atmosphere. 
I think maybe Ira heard it too, because I heard her call my name a second time, sounding uncertain. I asked if she was done. I didn't get an answer. Not that I was listening for it, when the first sound I heard in the dead silence was the too loud sound of slow footsteps passing behind me. I think the funniest thing about that moment, looking back, was the fact that she had such loud footsteps when I couldn't even see a hint of her feet. Just the bottom of her black dress, a habited form moving with purpose, raised at least an inch above the floor. I was facing the mirror, but I kept my face down, afraid of what I'd see if I raised my eyeline. I didn't want to see her face. I didn't want to see her eyes. I could hear nothing but her footsteps. She moved further away from me and toward the far end of the room where Ira was changing in the cubicles. I breathed with every step, hoping against hope that she couldn't see or sense me. Honestly, if I saw her now, I'd have dealt with her no problem. We definitely dealt with worse back at the Christie house. But some things stick with you when you're that young. And the sight of that nun's eyes? I think maybe if I'd stayed quiet, we'd both have been okay if a little spooked. The closer it got to where Ira was, the stronger the impulse to do something. Stop it, even if I didn't quite know how. So, I stepped forward. And... She was upon me before I could even blink, wide eyes staring down at me, gray hands grasping my shoulders. I realized then that nobody had ever described this nun's mouth before. Nobody, it seemed, had ever seen it. I'll tell you right now, it was very similar to her eyes. Uncomfortably similar. Especially opened as wide as it was. A void I could stare into, knowing something was staring right back. My mouth must have gotten just as wide when I screamed. It shouldn't have happened. That's what I keep thinking even now. She shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have noticed me. Should have stuck to the script. Shouldn't have broken those rules that everybody had set before us. But even then, it seemed like I knew something before I knew it. Knew that something was off about this particular specter, even before I encountered her. Maybe that was why I was so afraid. 
She grabbed me so hard I started feeling lightheaded. And for a moment I couldn't see anything beyond her black eyes and mouth. Couldn't hear anything other than her scream and mine. It felt like I was falling. I don't know for how long. And then... And then... The sound of distant laughter. Cars driving home. The anting-anting around my neck, humming like a rung bell against my sternum. Ira came out of the bathroom stall, looking a bit shaken. Asked if I saw her. It wouldn't be until years later, when we started dating in college, that I told her the truth. After that day, nothing about our old campus's ghost could get to me anymore. Silver lining to the encounter. No matter what horrors I saw, none of them could top the experience I had with a nun. When people asked me for help, I helped. When they needed company, I hung around with the dead-eyed specters my classmates could almost see. Assure them they were safe when they felt just a little of what I could feel. Years later, when I was about to graduate into high school, I stayed late one day and got to chatting with a kindly man who sold crepes in the cafeteria, who gave me a free cookies and cream crepe in fourth grade once and won my loyalty for years to come. He commented offhand about the creepy things he's seen packing up on late days. He'd heard about me, at least in the vague sense, and knew what my nanai was. He mentioned coming from a similar area, reminisced about the woman that was both healer and, with the right bribe, caster of love spells and curses that he was told to avoid as a child. I asked if he'd ever run into the nun in the bathroom above this very cafeteria, the one beside the auditorium. Oi, my cuento yandiba, he'd said, ponderous. There's a story there, right? about a nun who'd spent time watching people die in the sick beds of war. A woman who stayed up every night tending to her patients until their last breath. One who was there for everyone in her care's last moments. The way, Kuya Krep said, her eyes began to sink back into her skull with the tiredness, the despair of her station. The rumors... He added in a hush, of the night a too young soldier died while she watched at his bedside, and they found her sobbing in the dark, with her eyes scratched out of her head. No telling if this was true, but I knew that despair was one of the strongest emotions that could make the dead so real and tangible to the living. But I guess, when I think about it now, what bothers me about the encounter was not that this ghost was so tangible, so known. It was the way she grabbed me. It felt like she wanted something from me. Something that I knew I couldn't give. Not if I wanted to.
to survive. You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapul. Hey everyone, this is Motsi. I'm the creator of Hainai, the writer of this episode and all of the main Hainai episodes, and the voice of Maridetu In. If you enjoyed the special bonus episode, Madre, then consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on all our socials, at HainaiPod, that's H-I-N-A-Y-P-O-D, and follow along with the story on Podbean or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This episode was originally a patron-exclusive episode, and there will be more dropping on Patreon, so if you want to support us in that way, you can subscribe to our Patreon. To celebrate getting to 500 subscribers on YouTube, come join us at our special livestream, where we will pick one lucky subscriber to receive free Hainai merch. The livestream is taking place on Friday, April 29, 2022, at 8pm to 10pm EST, or Toronto, New York time. In Philippine time, that is Saturday, April 30, 2022, from 8am to 10am. We'll be live streaming from YouTube and Twitch, so you can come join the chat at youtube.com slash or twitch.tv slash Also, as this message is being recorded on April 28, 2022, if you're a Filipino who is able to vote in the 2022 elections, please vote for Lenny Robredo. She's our choice as the next president for a brighter future for all Filipinos. If you can't vote, consider supporting her campaign in whatever way you can. Our message here is just one small way we're trying to spread awareness, as we certainly do not want the son of a dictator and all-around useless corrupt politician to win. We'd rather have a good leader like Lenny Robredo, with a clean record and actual, genuine care for Filipinos. Anyway, hope you keep enjoying our show. Thank you. We love you, and hanggang sa mulit.